I can edit anything out. Great. Great. We were concerned about editing. Hoping <laughs> that you might jump cut some of the shit stuff I say. Welcome to the books we read. I'm Tallulah and over the course of these episodes I'm asking a selection of guests to tell me about their favourite books and most formative reading experiences. Whether you consider yourself an avid reader, you're an audiobook listener or you're just looking for a bit of inspiration on what book to pick up next, I hope that over the next half an hour you learn something new and get thinking about the books that have made you who you are. Welcome to today's episode of the books we read. Today I have a very special episode coming to you listeners because I have not just one but two fantastic guests. So we have Immy and Em, they are great friends of mine from university, both of whom did a year abroad, Immy in Italy and Em in Paris. And they very kindly joined me today as a duo to tell us about some of their favourite books. And I'm very excited to hear what they have to share. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thanks for having us. Thank you, we're very excited. Let's start off with favourite childhood books. Who would like to go first? Em, you kick us off. Right. I have chosen When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by Judith Kerr. And just as a side note before I start talking about it, just read her Wikipedia five minutes before coming on the podcast. Turns out she also wrote uh, The Tiger Who Came to Tea and Mog, you know, the one about the cat. So, oh my gosh, they're my favourite like childhood baby books. Exactly. The book is called When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit. So Judith Kerr, who wrote it, it's about her life, but it's not autobiographical. It's a piece of fiction. There's three books in the trilogy, but When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit is the first book. And it follows her family's life in the 1930s in Germany when they had to flee because her father was a journalist, I think, and he was going to be targeted by the Nazis. So they fled to France and then to the UK. The title comes because she had to pick which toys. She could only bring one toy with her when they were on the road and she picked her fox and she always regrets not bringing the rabbit so she sees Hitler as the man who stole her her pink rabbit how old are we talking when you're reading this like 11 maybe okay that's fair I'll allow it I'll allow it and I think the reason why I loved it so much is because at school you learn about the second world war like the blitz not really from a military point of view but much more from like a war point of view and I think as a child I just loved this because it was the story of a girl of my age and it's what she was going through at my age and obviously it's completely different to what I was going through And it just kind of helped me understand the Second World War a lot more as a child. And then the the following two books, um, as she grows up and she becomes a woman, she moves to London. She's a 30-year-old in London, etc. And so like following a woman's life is probably something that I just quite lurk across all the books I read. I, I really like that choice as well. And I agree with you in the sense of it's always nice to read a book where you can connect personally with the protagonist mainly or any character in the book. But I think from what you said, and just from the title, I haven't read the book, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the title makes it sound quite fantastical. So it's obviously taking what was a really difficult situation for so many people, and then putting this sort of childhood innocence spin on it, whereby she's like, main focus is, should have brought the bunny, should have brought the rabbit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think it's just, it's nice to not like, homogenise the experience of what people went through in the Second World War, and remember like, the concerns of children were so different to the concerns of parents or 
military leaders or whatever and it's just kind of one perspective but it's a perspective that I really liked hearing about as a child I think very good and what's your what would be yours Amy so mine is Ballet Shoes by Noel Stretfield the main reason I picked this is it's like my first memory of being allowed to pick my own book you know when you're a child you just sort of like read books and whatnot and this one I'm assuming I'd got like a gift voucher or something for my birthday and my mum took me into Waterstones and Reading and I said to me she kind of took me to the section that you know young adult or whatever it's called and said you can pick a book like this is your present pick your book and I remember just being like oh my god I can pick any book on the shelf and it's mine you've just been handed biff and chip all your life and then suddenly the gift card is with you off you go obviously it had like little pink dancing shoes on it so I picked up ballet shoes and it kick-started my lifelong love of sort of old-fashioned Downton Abbey call the midwife-esque thing. Ballet shoes as a book obviously it's a childhood book so I don't know how um gripping the storyline's going to be tell us a little bit about that it follows three sisters pauline petrova and posy and they basically there's this man called great uncle matthew who's known as gum and he travels the world he's a bit nutty and he keeps finding these babies and he returns home and gives them to sylvia who i think is his aunt or something there's some relation there i can't quite remember and he drops her with these three girls then gum kind of goes missing and stops funding them so he used to send money from abroad stops funding them so their sort of fake mother Sylvia has to take in various boarders into their house to fund their life and the boarders all have kind of different interests and get the girls into acting dancing and a kind of stage life so then Pauline the eldest becomes very good at acting and she wants a career on the stage Petrova was never that interested in the whole stage thing but has to carry on performing to earn money for the family and then Posey is a really really good dancer and so I think there's an actress that's living in the house and then there's a Russian dance teacher who takes on Posey. So it's all these, how these people kind of come into their lives, teach them these talents and then the girls' lives on stage and how that funds their lives. They become kind of international superstars. And Petrova, she was always interested in like mechanics and aircrafts and stuff like that. She was a bit of a tomboy. I always kind of quite fancied myself as a bit of a Petrova. She, towards the end, Gum comes back from being missing abroad and sponsors kind of Petrova's passion of aircraft and engineering and takes her down that alleyway. So they each have a kind of person that they follow their dreams and, you know, It's just great. Honestly, I loved it. I was so transported into their world when I was little. I was going to say, especially as a girl, I loved any kind of thing where you would identify with one of, say, some siblings or a group of friends. I saw my friend Sophia last week and she, for some reason, we were talking about The Brats. I watched The Brats movie like two nights ago. (laughs) Such a fantastic film. Great chick flick. She said, what brats would you be? And without flinching, I was like, oh, Sasha. Always. I was always a Sasha. You would be Sasha. I think I was Yasmin. Is that really bait? No, it's just because Yasmin, I think, in the film is a bit naff. I was always Chloe. Number two, the most formative book of your adult years. So Em and I, we were, because we spoke about this last night, and we were saying it's so hard to differentiate between favourite book and formative book. Immediately we jumped to our favourites and we're like, oh, well, I've loved this, this, this. And I was like, well, none of them have really shaped us. It's, it needs to be a book that you read and you come away and you feel different. We thought about it and we wanted to be really cliche and say Dolly Alderton's everything I know about love because it is just a comforting work for single women like us. But um, we decided we're better than that. And actually, although it was a classic read, very funny and very relatable I don't think it's changed us as people because we kind of already knew before we went into it that female friendships are great so instead I've gone for Invisible Women 
by Caroline Criado Perez. For those who haven't read it, it basically explains how the world is designed for men because it was designed by men. And it explains the data gap and the statistics that we do have and we don't have, which show why the world is the way it is and why women are disadvantaged in so many areas. Kind of how women have been left out of the picture in everything from like designs of housing to the size of our phones to how women's pensions are often smaller than men because in the period when they're having children or they're caregivers because women are the majority of caregivers in the UK that care work doesn't add to our GDP so it doesn't add to their pensions so one of the best things I learned was that by not supporting women when women are younger women are kind of being forced into poverty when they're older because they don't have as big pensions things like that so it just really it gave me the data to back up what I already knew to be true but I didn't kind of have like the footnote and the place to cite where someone can read and often when you're talking to men about gender inequality they they don't understand it or they don't really want to believe it until you can give them cold hard fat and so this book just really equipped me with examples and studies and statistics to be able to demonstrate why the world is designed for men and why often there isn't a solution because we don't even have the data to show there's a problem so I would just really encourage everybody to read it I think men and women alike can learn so much from it. Carry the torch then, Immy. Pass the torch. Over to you. I have picked um, Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, she is one of my favourite authors. And again, this is where I struggle because my favourite book of hers is Half of a Yellow Sun. But I don't think that was formative in the way that Americana was for me. So Americana follows the life of a girl called Ifemelu. And she grows up in Nigeria and has this like the most divine boyfriend Obinze is one of the best characters I think ever written faulty because he's almost she even admits she likes him so much that she's blind to his faults which I'm sure he does have but I'm so obsessed with him that he's a bit harmless in my view um, and it follows Ifemilu as she kind of grows up they have this incredible relationship when they're young and at high school and then she goes to America to study and he is going to be joining her in a matter of months but then 9-11 happens so he can't go to America and he ends up going to London. So it follows her life as she battles kind of her race in America. This is the first time when she's in Nigeria, she has such an identity within her community. And when she goes to America for the first time, she realizes what it is to be a black person because in Nigeria, she's never kind of confronted her the colour of her skin because it hasn't been presented to her as a problem. So this is her first encounter being labelled a black person. And then Obinze goes to London and he lives a very undocumented life when his visa runs out and he's facing all sorts of immigration problems in London. So it follows the kind of trajectories of their, their different trajectories in life. And then they come back to Nigeria later in the novel and sort of rekindle what they had despite all the various experiences. It's just honestly one of the most amazing accounts of facing race in America and what it means to be a black person in America there's a really pertinent bit where she says when you're in Nigeria it's all about kind of your community and where you come from and your particular sort of area within Nigeria but she said as soon as you go to Af as soon as you go to America sorry you're just black there's no nuance you're not from Nigeria you're not from South Africa you're not from a particular community you're just black and she said she hadn't ever kind of faced up to that before um, and then she speaks so well and interviews the author afterwards about how she said this book all kind of came from when she moved to America and she realised America is literally built on race and everything that America is, is all these different races interweaving together. But it's still the most uncomfortable and distressing issue in America, despite America being founded on such a mixture of races. Um, so it's a really, really good kind of fictional account of race in America but based on truth and personal experience 
and it is one of the most blind-siding love, blind-siding love stories I've ever read. She's a very talented author and speaker. I've also read Americana. I didn't love it as much as Immy, but I still think it's a, a, like a fantastic book and something that everyone should read. But it's really long, so I just like found it a bit of a slog. But then again, if you're loving it, obviously then you can bask in its length and you can be like, oh, I never want this to end. But because I was just a bit like, it wasn't, her writing was great. It was just the story didn't move fast enough, maybe for me. I think also it, hearing you speak about it reminds me of how I felt when I read Girl, Woman, Other. Just kind of considering things that I try to obviously be as aware as I can and, and call myself out for my own ignorance and my own privilege. But obviously being a white woman there are certain things even in London just outside my front door that I don't consider or I hadn't considered things like going to a work party and knowing you'd be the only black person there and and how that would then impact you and the way you dress and the way you would behave and and things like that I think it's really good that these incredible female authors are are getting their voices heard by I'm, I'm really glad that publishers are doing their bit to to ensure that people are being heard she has in in Americana she has amazing scenes which again, as a white woman, I can't, I haven't even considered or thought about that take place in the hair salon. Um, And Ifemelu, when she's in America, she's living a relatively at times affluent life through study. And she's in a nice part of town because that's where the university is, largely because it's run by white people and it's in a white community. So she has to go into a really rough part of town to get someone who knows how to deal with her hair. And the hair, being in the hair salon is a kind of recurring motif throughout the book and it's all the conversation she has with people who are actually like her in the salon and kind of the themes that they can touch on in a way she can't with the white people she encounters in her life and then you occasionally get a white woman comes into the hair salon to kind of you know get cornrows and get her, try and get herself involved in that community um, and Chimamanda speaks so well about that she's really entertaining about the whole notion of the hair salon and those were some of my favorite bits of the book as well she said it's such an interesting thing of women go in to the hair salon particularly when they're having their hair so dramatically changed in a way that white women don't tend to do in the same way and she said it's they go in and they have their identities changed and they go in and go out and that's so reminiscent of how black women have to do that in a way that white women don't so for example she then links it to Michelle Obama who had her hair styled in more of a white way now she has more natural hair and she's saying you know if she'd had her natural hair throughout the eight years in the White House would she have been as loved and asking those kind of questions and how hair is such an identity matter for black women in America. Yeah, I recently read Michelle Obama's book and she talks about that. She talks about how she was very conscious in in the 2008 campaign that for Barack's best chance of winning, it was best if they just didn't quite show their full roots and their full heritage because it was going to scare off some of America who were already a bit conscious that this Democrat nominee was a black man. And so they, in order to get the first black president elected they kind of had to act more white than they felt that they were and it's interesting to watch after he'd won the second election how her style really developed because he couldn't be elected again he wasn't going to go he couldn't go for office again and so she could really be who she wanted to be because she didn't have to think about her husband's political career and that is just something that white women and white politicians and white politicians wives haven't had to think about it just made me so aware of my own privilege and that the way I look and present myself has never been something that's actually had to challenge me so it's such a an important thing for people to be able to read about I think. So now we're on to the last the last selections and that is the last book you read so it can be where you don't have to have enjoyed it and you can tell us why you didn't or why you did for that matter so take it away Em. What is the last book you read? 
so I have this tendency to read a lot of books at the same time. I don't know what actually the last book I finished was because I don't when I started it you know what I mean it's all a bit confusing so I've picked one of the most recent ones I'm not sure if I started it and finished it most recently but we're gonna go with it the last book I read is Educated by Tara Westover it's a memoir of an American woman who grew up in rural Utah her family are Seventh-day Adventists I believe just me from the editing room um quick interlude just to say that we've since realized that M actually meant Mormons. They're not Seventh-day Adventists. Mormons, just to clarify. So they were preparing for the end of the world and her dad didn't trust the government. So they like lived off the grid. She never attended school. They didn't believe in hospitals. So her mother became a midwife and was the midwife for like all the local families who also didn't believe in hospitals and healthcare. She basically writes about her life and how education was the tool that she used to kind of come to the realization that her family's life wasn't necessarily the best way of doing things she ends up educating herself and it it, I don't want to spoil it but it transforms her life and it's amazing and it's a sort of inspiring story of education but it's also heart-wrenching and gutting in places because she has to pay a price for this freedom her family don't accept the way she's going about things is better they think she's being sort of brainwashed and she's going to the other side so it's it's a gutting and tragic story in places, incredibly emotional, but also she writes so beautifully. And considering the fact you know she, she wasn't formally educated, I cannot believe how beautifully she writes. And that's why one of the reasons why I picked this book and not another book that I've also kind of been reading recently, which is called Hillbilly Elegy and is another memoir. And that talks a very similar thing about the power of education in middle America and how it, it's about the sort of declining industry and the falling population and why people are Christian and why people are stuck in a cycle of poverty and why people vote Republican as a result and how Trump did so well in the 2016 election and so that's also one of the last things I read but I prefer Educated to Hillbilly Elegy because it's written so beautifully probably the best book I've ever read in terms of how well written it is but also the story is so powerful. The main two takeaways I had from it was one it made me really believe in natural brilliance and intelligence I was like you can go to whatever school, you can have all the education in the world. This girl was born unbelievably intelligent. And then the other thing was coming from a non-religious family. I come from such a perspective of this is so limiting to your life. Why are you bothering to engage in it? Why are you going back there? Why do you kind of carry on relations? And she she kind of touched on that. And it was such, it really made you understand why actually she was so sympathetic to them still throughout, despite all the trauma that that's brought on her. And it made me kind of reposition myself and try not to be so clear-cut about how I think that it only had negative impacts on her life. What's the last book you read? It's kind of a series so I'm stud- I, it's basically the Eleanor Ferrante My Brilliant Friend Neapolitan Quartet um, so what? Basically, okay so author is Eleanor Ferrante and the four books are referred to as the Neapolitan Quartet but the most famous is the first one and it's often known as the My Brilliant Friend series. So I'm dropping them all in there for various listeners. Those millions okay. of listeners who've all listened to it in different, read it in different forms, different ways. Was this inspired by your year abroad in Italy? Yeah, I'm doing it as a module right now. I'm studying this quartet as a module. Oh, really? Oh, so is it an academic? No, it's very much fiction. Oh, cool. And you're doing a module in that? God, I should have done Italian. It's a, it's Italian literature, but it's been translated across the whole world. So it's it's very famous in America. So are you reading it in Italian then, Amy? No, about that, <laughs> As far as my lectures are aware, very much so. And as far as my essay will explain, all quotes will be in Italian. Uh, But obviously I haven't opened the Italian. I've got the Italian book here just to be able to get the quotes from the right page numbers. 
but obviously reading it in English because I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> but it is one of the most intricate portraits of female friendship I've ever read. And it handles so many amazing other themes about growing up in a patriarchal society, particularly in Italy, and all the violence that comes with that and the oppression and the lack of education, the generational differences between mothers who were pre-war and then their children who were post-war and the second wave of feminism in Italy which was in the 70s and so it's just an amazing portrait of two girls Lila and Lenu growing up in a rough part of Naples and how they come into and leave each other's lives throughout various sticky points and if for my essay actually I'm arguing that there's this psychoanalytical theory that's called the mirror stage and it's basically when a child first recognises themselves in a mirror, they misrecognise themselves and they see an idealised version of themselves. Because it's often with people saying to you, you know, oh, look at you, good boy, so beautiful in the mirror, etc, etc. So you see this better version of yourself. And that's what you kind of strive to be throughout your life. And so I'm arguing that the girls are each other's misrecognition. And that actually that plays into what female friendship, I think, is. Because of the patriarchy in which we live, we don't really have role models in the way that men have role models. So the female experience is really unwritten about and unrecognised. And so we're constantly mirroring ourselves on our friends because we only can justify and understand our experience through our friends' knowledge of it as well because it's not recognised in a kind of public sphere. So it's things like even little things like when they're growing up and first experimenting sexually, Lenu goes a lot further up the bases than Lula does. <laughs> And she starts to kind of sl like slowly pry with Leela about what she might be doing. And when Leela's like, oh, we've just kissed and doesn't want to talk any further about it and says, no, of course we've just kissed. It would be so improper to do anything else. Why? What are you inferring? Lenu is all ashamed all of a sudden and is like, no, 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 me neither. We haven't done anything else. Because it's that you don't have anything else to understand your own experience. So it's a yeah. profound account of using your female friends to form your own identity, basically. It's amazing. Couldn't recommend it more. That sounds fantastic. I was just, just what you were saying about the other day, it wasn't that long ago, I was facing various women issues. I was like, oh, just, you know, it's so much easier to be a man. It's a man's world. And then I was just thinking, fundamentally, I would never trade being a woman purely for the female ability to connect with each other. I agree. 100%. I think about this a lot. The way that women make friends is just, can be so incredible and so much deeper I think, than any kind of male yeah. friendship. It's such a richer experience of living when you've got your doubts, <laughs> you know? Isn't it? And just to have people that you tell everything to. My best friends from school, I'm hoping we'll be friends forever now, which will mean that we literally grew up together. We met when we were 11 and you go through so much and then it's fantastic to be able to reminisce with them and when you don't have to tell any story again as you said even though you guys didn't didn't choose it Dolly Alderton's Everything I Know About Love which seems to be spoken about in every episode I do it just does tell the story of, of a fantastic group of mates and I think you know if I were to ever write a book one day I think it would definitely have to centre around that obviously write about what you know. I remember after reading Dolly Alderton's Everything I Know About Love, I, I developed a sort of strange nostalgia for a life I hadn't even lived yet. I'm a sucker for nostalgia. Yeah, it's honestly that book, you're so right about a life I hadn't even lived and I was already like reminiscing it. I'm reminiscing stories that haven't even happened to me yet, probably never will, but I, I'm already like romanticising them. I think far too much about how 
when Dolly and her friends all stopped living together and they had moved in with boyfriends or lived alone or whatever. And that kind of period of living with friends in London came to an end, how they had a pub crawl dressed as objects from the, the houses they, they lived in. So like, I think Dolly went as the, the Henry Hoover and stuff. And I like think about that as though that's a party I attended. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know why, but she, she, that was just a tweet after the book. Like, I, that, it's not part of my life at all. But I just really identify with that sense of like fun and friendship that you, we, we have with our friends. Last question for you both is, is my new favourite one, is if you had to write a book now, it can either be your autobiography or a fictional work. What would the title be? <laughs> we actually discussed this last night in panic that you were going to ask us. And we, we I was actually... like, I don't know if you can do this off the cuff. <laughs> my Sunday Times bestseller would be A Love Letter to Tea. You can picture it now, guys. Ten years time. That is. Oh, you mean the drink, not me. <laughs> Say that again, too. Oh no, not you. Tea the drink. Breakfast, <laughs> Earl Grey, Lady Grey, not Tallulah Tacky. But I can also. You can feature. It's a love letter to the two types of tea in my life. And what about you, Em? Um, I really don't know. About the title. I don't know. It would be something about women. It would be a naff knockoff of everything I know about love, probably. <laughs> We're too young to be writing autobiographies. We've still got so much ahead of us, hopefully. I could definitely write an autobiography now. <laughs> well, we can tell your ego is live and well. It is, as I think you probably could, which means that when you actually do, when you're like 40, I'm so excited because it's going to be even richer than what it would be now. There's going to be some serious content. And listeners get excited. The ski chalet story must feature. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Hopefully one day you will read, as the listener, a book, my autobiography, and there will be a story in it which will be referred to as the ski, the ski chalet story. And you'll probably read it and you'll think that it's not true. I'll write in the book that you need to come back and reference this episode of this podcast. Take my word for it that it is true and that everything that I talk about in that story did happen. <laughs> It is unbelievable. Truly, that is the greatest story one of my friends will ever provide me with. Every detail of it is perfect. You'll have to, oh, we're giving you tasters, little listeners, but we're not telling you the full thing. I will have to wait for my parents to die before I can release that content into the world. It's the most rock and roll thing any of us have done. I'm trying to think if I had to write what, what that autobiography would be called. I don't want to put a label on it yet. I don't know what it would be. You've been listening to The Books We Read with me, Talula, and my fantastic guests, Em and Imi. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Sorry we had a brief hiatus last week, but we're back on track for Friday episodes. So see you next week. <laughs>